Welcome to another episode of Axe of the Blood God, US Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey. With me, as always, my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, everybody. Hope you're doing well out there. Nadia, have you already begun playing Red Dead Redemption 2? I am so on the fence about that. Uh, It might even change my mind by the time this podcast goes up, but... um... Every time I think I want to play it, uh, something kind of deters me. Like, for example, I was looking over Mike's article about realistic hunting, and it's like, whoa, that's not very Oregon Trail at all, is it? Where you just kind of shoot the buffalo, and it goes, you know, kind of legs up, and that's all you have to see. Yeah, I was a little uh, taken aback, because I, I thought that the skinning the monsters in Monster Hunter World was a little intense, and in this one, it's like, no, you're going to sit there and watch as he's brutally skinning this thing and carrying it, and it's just like, and you're shooting it in the leg, and it's like falling around, you're going, holy, whoa, okay, this is a little <laughs> intense. Look, yeah. I grew up in a, a, a city that had a pretty strong hun- hunting culture. As you mm-hmm. can tell, I am not a hunter. I do not like to hunt. I do not hunt the cute animals. So, yeah, um, I can't really say like Jews have a very strong hunting culture either. So, I ne- it's never something I ever grew up with in any respect whatsoever. I respect hunters who go within like those those limits, those legal limits, because I figure, okay, if you're mm. if you're going to be a meat eater like myself, I don't exactly have the right to say, hey, you know, it's really brutal what you're doing. Like, I'm not into sport hunting. Get me wrong, but if you ki- if you kill what you eat. Then I can't exactly say, well, you know, no, you're, you're, you're a terrible person. But on the other hand, I don't really want to play a video game where you, you skin things. <laughs> oh no, I'm not judging people who are actual hunters for sure. I mean, it's mm-hmm. a sport. Uh, they're doing their, they're, they're doing a maybe kind of a civic good in keeping the the herds of deer relatively thinned. But mm-hmm. as for sitting in a tree stand with a beer and a, a gun. Uh, on a cold, windy day. Per- perhaps that is not my favorite activity. I'd rather be playing a video game, and I'm yes. not going to be skidding. I'm a city girl. Sorry, but yeah, I, very, I was going silly. to play. I was going to play Red Dead Redemption Two yesterday, mm-hmm. but I I made a critical error. You went back to Monster Hunter World. No, uh, though I kind of want to at times because there's that behemoth hunt that I never got around to doing. Oh yes. No, uh, I stupidly didn't think about the fact that there's a data disc that you have to actually install the game with so consequently i stuck it in and had to wait like another couple hours before i could actually boot it up and by that time i was ready to go to bed so (laughs) while i waited i played persona 5 instead oh that was a good choice yes i think so i I, i'm going to talk about that briefly i think we're going to talk a little bit about fallout 76 and then for this one in, in honor of Red Dead Redemption 2. We're going to share our favorite RPG cowboys, of which there were more than I thought. Uh, there were there were at least five. And, at least, yes. And some of them are, are what you would call cowboys. Some of them are maybe not cowboys, actually, but at least dressed like them. So yeah, they want to be yeah. cowboys. There aren't a ton of Westerns in, in this world, like, RPGs that would be categorized as westerns. We talked about Wild Arms the other day. Right. Because funnily yeah. enough, there are no characters from Wild Arms in this list because none of them are really cowboys. Yeah, that's the funniest thing. Like, um, to be fair, I, I'm not as familiar, familiar with other Wild Arms beyond one. But when you look at uh, Jack, Cecilia, and Rudy from the first game, and even some of the NPCs, uh, you have Calamity Jane, but even she doesn't have a cool hat. But none of them do, yeah. actually. And yeah, and as we all know, you gotta have a cool hat in order to yeah, be no a hat, cowboy. no cowboy, 
no hat, no cowboy. That those are the rules that I just made up. And those are the rules brewed up by a city girl. But maybe Wild Arms XF uh, has a cool cowboy. I'm not sure. But if you want to, if you want to help us out with this one, drop us a line at me at line at cat.bailey@usgamer.net or leave us a comment on the show notes. You can find us on social media at the under uh, over on usgamer.net. I'm a I'm on Twitter at the underscore catbot. Nadia is on Twitter at Nadia Oxford. And yeah, like we, whenever we get a comment, we try to. Uh, read them on the show and if you really like the show make sure to subscribe okay please so first things first uh follow 76 the beta i got a chance to play it nadia Uh and i the article i ended up writing was how friggin weird it is that they decided to make a fallout game that's mostly about the combat when actually the combat in fallout isn't very good (laughs) Combat in Fallout has never been its strength, has it? No, I would say not. Uh, it brought me back to Fallout 4 when mm. I was playing the Nuka World DLC. And in the Nuka World DLC, to refresh your memory, it's mostly an extended dungeon crawl through a parody of Disney World. Mm-hmm. Where you're killing a lot of robots and raiders, and that's kind of it. Like, there isn't a ton of story. And... I didn't really care for the Nuka World DLC, so it made me feel a little perturbed that in Fallout 76, I was getting those kinds of memories. Yeah. um, Did you have a chance to really look at any of the the, the story material lying around? Because, like I said in my preview, it's not really active storytelling so much as passive. Yeah, I mean, but at the same time, it's the, the story isn't that interesting at least not at the outset because it's Mm -hmm. like there's an overseer and i guess you're just kind of going toward her next audio log with you know you're going from town to town chasing her audio logs and she's talking about uh some kind of horrifying plague that's taken over uh west virginia right and probably the scorched i guess the scorched and as you are walking from town to town, you see people who are dead, and they all have audio logs as well. And so you can hear their stories by listening to it, or you can see like the little messages that were left on terminals and stuff. But uh, as, as we've discussed already, there's like kind of none of the, kind of none of the, uh, you know, elements where you're talking to other people. So mm-hmm. I just think as a natural consequence, the, the combat has to kind of come to the fore. And it's sort of every bit as janky as usual. <laughs> That's a good description of it, I guess. Yeah. Um, and you see what I mean about the VATs being kind of a, a glorified um, auto-targeting system. Yes, it is definitely basically auto-aiming. Um, initially, it was kind of weird to get the hang of, but mm-hmm. I've eventually kind of found that if I just stood still, uh, then I could just go bam, 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 and then, then they were dead. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think that it would have worked for them to have the ultra-slow motion in a multiplayer game, obviously. No, they couldn't do that. But they're trying to go for some kind of weird compromise where they're not willing to make a full-blooded action game like Destiny. 
Mm -hmm. But it's... So they're sticking with this kind of weird hybrid turn-based thing where it's pretty obvious that they really just want to do an action game. Yeah. But they're afraid to abandon that. Yeah. No, you're right about the word compromise. Um, For me, and this is something I said in my preview, the strength of the game for me was walking just through the environments and, and getting to see, like, you know, explore things and see the weather and stuff like that. I really enjoyed that. Yeah. I thought initially that I was like, oh, this must be like Rust, like a simpler version of Rust, but, you know, in the Fallout verse. And now it feels kind of like more like Destiny, I suppose, in just in the <laughs> sense of, uh, well, yes, Destiny is the only multiplayer RPG shooter I've ever played. No. Of course. Uh, but, I mean, just the fact that you're walking through this world and then all of a sudden an event starts up and monsters are coming or robots are coming and you gotta work with other players to take them down and then you gather up a whole bunch of loot and stuff and you can use that to craft new weapons and i'm like oh okay yeah this is yeah this is like uh basically kind of destiny ish maybe at the end Mm -hmm. there will be raids and i can't imagine doing a multiplayer raid in this game because the combat is so janky it it's a weird it's a weird game it's very weird did you play it with anyone or just by yourself no i hate other people (laughs) well we've established that haven't we yes uh no i went primarily solo and in fact i was taking perks solo perks for just Mm -hmm. that reason which there are perks uh that you can take that will deliberately enhance your abilities if you aren't planning on teaming up with other players right but i ended up camping in the woods like a weirdo like a weirdo (laughs) hobbit person (laughs) And that was kind of fun. Like I yeah. had a little, I had my little cooking area and a little chair and a sleeping bag. And I wasn't, I wasn't able to build anything beyond just the cooker because I'm, I don't know where to get gears. I, I guess I'm going to get gears later, but mm-hmm. so I haven't been able to build any of the crafting benches or anything. And until I'm able to do that, I'm not entirely willing to go crazy building a big elaborate structure. Right, But then my immediate thought was, why would I bother building big elaborate structures? Yeah, because you don't have the NPCs that you can populate them with. Yeah, I mean, there's that. And, well, it just, it seems like a vanity thing, right? Where Mm -hmm. I'm just, I would only do it, I would only use resources to build an actual building if I wanted to show off. And there's not really many people to show off to. Although you you built uh, things and I can show it to my friends, but I mean, you built things I, in No Man's I, Sky. Yeah, but in No Man's Sky, the way that the base building is developed, mm-hmm. you have to have a building, right? Right. You have to have an actual building to be able to put down different things that you can actually use. Right. Okay. Where. Whereas, and you have to have actual buildings to be able to say, like, invite NPCs who are kind of the merchants or whatever working inside your base. Mm -hmm. And you have, like, you know, a landing pad that you attach to it. So the building of the base actually makes a little bit more sense. Whereas in Fallout 76, I was sort of inclined just to find a clearing and drop down some, uh, some crafting benches and stuff. I suppose a little later I could 
I don't know, in Fallout 4, I had a water farm where I would go and collect tons of water and sell it, and I got lots of money Mm -hmm. as a result. I could see a situation where I would want to build structures so that I could protect the water farm if it is indeed possible to build one of those in Fallout 76. Mm -hmm. I think it might be. As for having actual buildings, it just, I don't know. I don't know if, like, there's a reason for me to spend all my time doing that, so. I get to find out when the game comes up. The other thing that was fun about Fallout 4 was that I would take over, like, established buildings. Like, I would right. take I would take over the lighthouse, or I would take over that one gas station, or I would mm-hmm. take over that one town. Whereas in this one, I don't feel like I can take over a town. Right. I don't know if you can or not. Yeah, I don't know either. So it's all it's all a little confusing. I mean, I didn't hate my time with it. I mm-hmm. I it's pretty and it is. I like walking through the wilderness and I enjoyed listening to the kind of nineteen twenties ish country and the, yeah. the, the remix of Ghost Riders in the Sky and that kind of thing, but <laughs> nice. Uh and the combat, you know, wasn't horrible. Mm-hmm. It just it's serviceable. It's just it's just, it feels like a weird thing to build a multiplayer game around. And then it was so weird, I would be exploring a building, and I'm so conditioned to expect to be alone. So I would hear mm-hmm. footsteps, and I would immediately tense up, because I was expecting an enemy to round the corner. And instead, it would be just some random person. Oh, so you actually and, came across people. Oh, yeah, I came across many people. Oh, interesting. They were everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I never felt like I was actually alone, because there were always people running around. Oh, okay, because, yeah, when just one of the things the Bethesda developers tried to kind of instill in us is like, no, don't worry, you're probably never going to see anyone. And, well, it sounds like you saw people. Oh, yeah, I saw a ton of people, especially once I came right out of the the vault for the first time. Maybe Mm -hmm. that won't be the case. Like, I was starting literally at the same time as everybody else. Oh, yeah, it could be. That could be one of the reasons why you saw people. So we were all on the same path at the same time. And there were points where, like, I was literally standing and waiting for somebody to finish working, using the yeah. friggin' workbench. <laughs> yes. That's that's always great. Just, like, everyone was kind of standing in line waiting. Mom said it's my turn. Move. I was like, come on, come on. I need to break down my materials. Let's go. Get a move on. your junk. I, I definitely expect to play Fallout 76, and maybe I will enjoy it. It's just... I don't know. I'd kind of rather just have a real Fallout game. Yeah, I'm sure one is coming, if not for a while, of course. They gotta give us... Yeah, like next six. decade. Next decade, if we're lucky, yeah. Yeah, it's gonna be a while. So we're not gonna get one until after Elder Scrolls Six. Like, we're gonna get Starfield or whatever, and then Elder Scrolls Six, and then Fallout 5 will be somewhere oh, way down it. there. I forgot about Starfield, but yeah, I actually, I was having dinner with one of the uh, developers on Fallout 76. They were sitting at our table, and I said, so, are you working on Elder Scrolls 6? And he just gave me a look. Ah, jeez, Nadia. <laughs> he was a good sport about it, though. That's good tact there. Uh, I'm very tactful. I'm actually looking forward to Starfield. I'm, I expect it will be good. Maybe it'll finally be the game that I've always been dreaming of, wherein I actually get a ship, and I actually have interesting things to do in a solar system. Cough, cough, no man's sky. Keep hanging on to that dream. Though apparently there's an, a Halloween event going on. There's a Halloween event going on for friggin' everything at this point. There but, is, yeah. PUBG and but, uh, Fortnite. Yeah. And Fire Emblem. Um, mm-hmm. But apparently there's a fire a Halloween event happening in No Man's Sky as well called The Abyss. And I was like, well, maybe. Pause. Nah. 
I like that. Power. I find the I find the building in that game actually kind of tedious, like the gathering and building. So mm-hmm. I was kind of like, uh, maybe I'll come back to it when they have the next really big content drop. But at this point, I'm it's just a time sink. Yeah, so. honestly, like for me, uh, Starlink, I haven't had a chance to go back to it very much, but it is pretty much what I want for No Man's Sky. So yeah, I'm, but nobody cares about Starlink. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the sales are like, but uh, I know a lot of people liked it. Apparently not too great. No, oh, that's too bad. But it's the best Star Fox you're going to get for a while. Another time sink in my life right now is Persona 5, which I, I suppose are we going to do a Persona 5 update? I, I don't know if I'm going to keep playing after this week. Not because I don't like it. Uh-huh. Mostly because I just don't have time right now. <laughs> Because I'm going to be playing. <laughs> I need to pick up some Red Dead Redemption 2 and at least get some way into it before I go yeah. back to Persona 5. Okay. Yeah, I should probably play it too. Quick update on Persona 5. It's the summer holidays now. And by the mm-hmm. way, if like you don't want Persona 5 spoilers, then I don't know, fast forward like five minutes. So it's the summer holidays now. I finished the bank. That's all done. And I finally got to meet uh, Futaba. Is that her oh, name? Oh, yeah. Futaba. Glasses Girl? Yes, Glasses Girl. Yeah, so, like, she finally... They finally showed her doing the hacking thing, because, um... I guess I'm being targeted by Anonymous now, or Fortan or something. Oh, that's right. Yeah, there was this whole thing going on where, like, they were, like... A a group was, reveal yourself, Phantom Thieves, or will do... They threatened you somehow. I can't remember how. Yeah, they are threatening to destroy the Japanese economy. So, at this point... At this point, Persona 5 is just ticking off every single, like, crazy group in this country, in this world. They've done uh, school teachers who are abusing kids. They've done uh, charlatan art people who are in pop culture. They did the Yakuza, and now they're doing Anonymous. I- I'm expecting the final boss to be, uh, to be Donald Trump at this point. <laughs> I think- the-, the final dungeon's going to be a mega rally. There's just so much about that game that reflects the real world, and it's depressing to think about. Yes, it feels very timely, but... So yeah, I'm looking forward to taking down Anonymous, because, uh, yeah, they, they are Legion, but apparently uh, I can change their heart somehow. But uh, Futaba seems cool. Uh, her story seems very heartbreaking and like desperately sad, and it touches on the real problem that Japan has with suicide, which is... Just depressing, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And uh, also, she is a shut-in, which yes. I didn't know. Uh, which, when I was living in Japan, shut-ins were a gigantic conver- topic of conversation. Because while it wasn't necessarily new, it felt like it kind of was in the public consciousness in a big way at that point. Like, for yeah, the first probably. time. In the media for a, a lot for the first time. Hey, are you familiar with the whole shut-in culture? Yes, I forget the Japanese name for the... Ter- uh, for the uh for the actual shut-ins but uh, he something with an h but uh yeah i am familiar with it yeah they usually call them neats yeah it's really pretty amazing where they really aren't coming out of the room they're basically just getting you know food through a slot in their door from their parents and (laughs) they get to be in like their 40s or something like that it's it's pretty wild yeah and i learned maybe one of the reasons it actually became more of a topic recently is because well the the parents people who were taking care of them they're getting older dying. they're dying yeah. like what what do they do uh in touching on the shut-ins uh, i remarked the last time i was talking about persona 5 about how it kind of 
touches on all of the kind of alternative cultures and things that are happening in Tokyo at any given time. Right. Disgraced politicians, journalists, um, transgender folk, uh, the Shinjuku red light district, um, on and on, uh, apparently anonymous now and hacking culture. <laughs> and yep. now we've got a, a shut in and you're not done yet. You're halfway. It's not done. Yeah. I mean, um, <laughs> I like her dungeon already. It's a pyramid. Yeah, it's a pyramid. I remember that. Had great music, as I recall. Uh, the last two dungeons had good music. The 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 bank also had good music. Yeah, uh, it was a great soundtrack. Um, I'm a little just, I'm a little sad that it lost out to Nier um, in the Game Awards, but it, those are two really good soundtracks side by side. Absolutely. But I mean, of course, she deliberately asks you to change her heart because. Mm-hmm. She, uh, like, I guess she can't deal with the, the judgment and the horror and the, the depression of losing a parent in such a horrifying way. So, yeah, she's uh, got a lot of issues you have to help her out with. Yeah, for sure. So, I, 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 it's, it's a good twist on the let's bring justice to all of the bad people so far. It's a good change of pace. And it's mm-hmm. been interesting going into her dungeon for the first time where she's kind of helping you, but she's also kind of, pushing mm-hmm. you away yes. and it's a bit on the nose but the pyramid being a metaphor for resurrection but also a tomb like uh it was a pretty chilling line when she said this this room will be my tomb Hmm. yeah i agree with that i was like whoa i mean and i'm sure that she really believed that yeah so, absolutely we, we were just talking about people who never come out yeah depression is a for her, it's depression rather mm-hmm. than just an inability to completely engage with the outside world. And she, and she is consequently just completely shut down. Um, and, I mean, depression is a, a pretty intense and a, a pretty gnarly thing. And It is, yeah. And um, she's depressed. Uh, and she also, uh, some people point out, she shows uh, signs of autism as well. Oh, you think so? Yeah, it's, it's just uh, what other people have said. And I can... Uh, You'll kind of see more as you as you get to know her, but yeah, I can see that being the case. Yeah, there was a good moment the first time you sneak into uh, the house to see, try and see if you can find her, and like the lights flash, and then you just see her glasses like reflecting the light, and then she freaks out and runs back into her room. <laughs> yes, that's actually thinking about it. Just the whole thing with Futaba also. Uh, Kind of makes you a little more sympathetic to uh, the guardian you have. What's his name? Uh, coffee, uh, coffee house guy. Oh, Sojiro. Sojiro, yeah, because he he starts the game as a total asshole, and it's like he's like, "Oh, I'm doing a big favor by taking you in, and you can't leave your attic." <laughs> and then it's like, "Okay, thanks, dude." And they're like, "I'm gonna lock you in tonight. Well, Good night." Well, it turns out that he took somebody else in. Yep. Yeah, he's he's pretty cool. He, I mean. He took her in, and he obviously cares about her, but at the same time, he seems to be completely at a loss as to actually help her. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, I really started feeling for him by that point in the game. Which, I, I think the fact that he feels like he has no support systems whatsoever to mm-hmm. be able to actually get her out of her room. and Yeah, and I, I wonder if that's also another commentary on uh, Japanese culture, how... Um, they don't really handle uh, mental issues as well as they could. 
like depression yeah. and, and autism and what have you? Well, I, I wouldn't know on that front. I'm, I only know what I've heard perhaps, but mm-hmm. at least from the, from the game's perspective, that was the, the feeling I got that he just felt completely helpless. And because he's like, leave her alone. Like, yeah. She's stuck in there. She's she's stuck in her own head, and I don't want to hurt her anymore. Yeah, yeah. He has no one to really turn to. So yeah, uh, I'm enjoying it. Though I feel like uh, I'm I'm on that. I've got a serious case of FOMO going on with Persona Five right now because I feel like I'm so behind on different personas con- confidants. Like every day, I got somebody else going. Hey, why don't you help me build up my social link? And I'm like, I want to do that. But I also want to do all of this other stuff. Yeah, that's the one problem I had with Persona 5. I, I don't even really know if I can call it a problem. I just remember, you know, I had all these things I should have done and I could have done, but I went fishing day after day. And I caught some really great fish, but, but I had never no girlfriend. never gone fishing. I don't even know how to go fishing. Oh, you might not be able to, you know, you might not have unlocked it yet, but you can go fishing in one of the old Tokyo moats, which I was like, oh my god, you can go fishing in a moat in Japan. That is amazing. Like the, the old Edo castles and stuff like that. It's cool. like, oh, that's a thing? That's a real thing? Oh, I'm so jealous. So I'm like fishing, fishing, fishing. I don't have a girlfriend. Game's over. I'm like, oh, shit. Wow, you didn't have a girlfriend? <laughs> no, like I told you last time, I um, I was propositioned by the goth doctor, and I really regret not taking that proposition because I was really going after Makoto. Uh, but to mm. get Makoto, you have to have a really high charm, and I didn't have a high enough charm, so I'm t- trying to desperately take these baths day after day, and I, didn't, I still didn't have enough time. <laughs> the more baths I take, oh. you know, I went. To, I went to the the hot springs every day, and it wasn't good enough. Not even the springs; it was a hot. It was just like the neighborhood uh, hot tub, whatever you would call it. That's the problem with these kinds of games. Like you want to get together with a particular character, but it ends up being uh, a case of you just you don't know how to do it unless you have a guide because there are very specific things that you have to requirements that you have to meet i remember in persona 4 like you had to join certain clubs to get certain certain social ranks you had to have certain um personality uh traits like at a certain level you had to take certain jobs to be able to meet certain characters yeah i didn't meet uh the the holder of the tower arcana i didn't meet him until like the very end of the game the, the little the little prick I had to tutor. Like, he's literally called, like, wow, you're a little prick. That's what the protagonist says to him. <laughs> but I didn't meet him <laughs> until the end of the game. There's like, this oh, fortune teller in Shinjuku that I saw her name pop up on the, the list of confidants that people were talking to. I'm like, who? <laughs> so I looked her up, and I was like, what? And so I went and found her, and I discovered that you have to have 100,000 yen to give to her to be able yep. to get her quest going and I only had like 50,000 so I went and did a whole bunch of mementos so that I could get more money and then you have to go and do her memento to be able and I'm like is this really worth it? Yep, no poor people allowed, cat. But okay, so that's where I am in Persona 5 right now. I I'm in the dungeon. I chased the thief in the pyramid through the town near the pyramid. And I've opened up the alternate exit at this point, so I'm ready to really start delving mm-hmm. in deeply into that pyramid. But it, I'm I'm really enjoying it. I I am. I yeah. Uh, but at this point, I feel like I need to step aside for a moment to play some RDR two, so I I might not be able to talk about it next yeah. week. One more game that I'm playing uh, at the moment that is also distracting me um, is Diablo 3 on Switch. 
Oh yeah, I have a code for that. I really, I want to start. I want to download it this weekend and play it because I've never played Diablo three, so I'm looking forward to this. Yes, I can't actually talk about it right now because when this episode embargo. comes out, the review embargo still won't be up. Oh. But please look for it at Tuesday at nine a.m. Pacific. Uh, I I have thoughts. Um that are related to Diablo 3. It's not going to be a full review, but I'm going to talk about like what I am and what I am enjoying about it, and perhaps what I'm not enjoying about it. You'll have That's to see. Fair. Check it on usgamer.net. In the meantime, Nadia, let's mm-hmm. let's talk about our favorite uh, RPG cowboys, shall we? You know, whenever we do one of these lists, Jeremy's always like, "You should have the Casey, uh, the Casey Keenum, Case Keenum, uh, not the court, Casey Kasem, uh, <laughs> not the Vikings quarterback, the 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 dead DJ. Uh, he he always DJ. says, uh, "I should have the Casey Keenum, <laughs> Casey Keenum, <laughs> number five. You know what I'm talking about? Well, yeah, yeah. I'm too lazy to go and get that sound effect. Yeah, you're you're not going to get a nicely produced podcast here." So yeah, you're just going to no. have to we're, deal with it. We're, we're just like bare bones as I can get. But this is the top five list. And we've got five RPG cowboys that I was able to find. So here's number five. Number five. All right, here we go. It is Clay from Pokemon Black and White. Nadia, did you ever get around to playing po- Pokemon Black and White? Yes, I did. Although I had to look up when you said Clay, I, I had to look him up to remember who he was. And he's like basically the Pokemon universe version of the crazy uh, oil tycoon millionaire from The Simpsons. <laughs> oh, uh, Texas guy. Yeah. What's it called? Yeah. Oil Texas guy. Yeah. Like yeah. I just talk in that bad accent. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. No, Clay. Yeah, he's he's a cowboy because Pokemon Black is set in. America-ish. It's called Unova. Quote-unquote. Quote-unquote. And he is a ground-type gym leader. Uh, You had to look him up. Everybody else had to look him up, too. Because, let's be honest, he's not the most memorable gym leader, for the most part. He does have a memorable design. Like, when you look at him, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, they're definitely going for that very cliche American cowboy kind of thing. Yeah, they really are. And that's the first thing I noticed, because when you when you get cowboy uh, stereotypes in video games, especially Japanese-produced video games, you tend to get the real sort of lean, mean-looking, uh, you know, let's face it, handsome, rugged cowboy. And I'm sure he uh, Clay has his admirers, but he's definitely kind of more of the sort of billionaire, as I said, oil tycoon stereotype. Except he's not an oil tycoon. Apparently, they've dis- figured they've perfected alternative energy in the Pokemon universe that because be nice. he mines, but he's not an oil tycoon. Okay, but yeah, he wears the he doesn't just wear the the cowboy hat. He wears the full getup, including the chaps. Yeah, he has the chaps. I noticed that. <laughs> um, and the Pokemon that you fight the first time you meet him are uh, Krokorok, which is like kind of this ground gator thing uh i remember you saying that you kind of like him is that um there's crocodile and there's uh sandile where does crocorock fit in uh i don't know uh, he's, he's like in- a dark he's a dark ground type he's got like little stripes and everything and he uh he evolves into crocodile Okay, but yeah, generally for that family of of Pokemon, I adore the fact they kind of have that robber slash alligator thing going on. Just let's let's combine those. They look like they're wearing sunglasses. I know it's great. 
But the, no, they're supposed to be like little bandit I think masks. in the anime, I think in the anime, they actually are wearing a sun- sunglasses. <laughs> no, they're cool. That's how you know. Because uh, Ash has a Croco Rock mm. in Pokemon Black and White. But he also has a Palpitoad, which is a water ground type. And he has, uh, and this is the big one, the Excadrill, which is actually one of my favorite ones. Because it looks like a mole, but it's Crash Man. Oh, that thing. Okay, yes, you're absolutely right. That's a good description of him. Yeah, that's all I can think of every time I see Excadrill is basically Crash Man from Mega Man 2. In the competitive game, Excadrill was kind of a nightmare because uh, if you put him on a sand team, he had this ability called Sand Rush, which would dramatically mm-hmm. improve his uh, dramatically improve his uh, speed to the mm-hmm. point where you would have a he could pretty easily sweep your team if you were not careful. Oh geez. Uh, and so, and he's actually relatively hard to take out. Like his, he has reasonably good defense and that kind of thing. So, uh, Excadrill always kind of gave me a headache in the competitive game. Uh, here, he's not that hard uh, to take out. But uh, if you make it to the Pokemon World Tournament, uh, mm-hmm. he his Pokemon uh, group improves dramatically. He he picks up. In addition to his Excadrill, he gets a Mamoswine, which is one of my favorites. Uh, it looks like Mamoswine. a big old uh, mammoth. <laughs> oh, oh! I think I might have one of those in uh, Pokemon Go, or is that the wrong generation? Uh, that yeah, no, that's Pokemon Go, Pokemon. But I don't think the evolution has come out yet. You're thinking of Piloswine? Oh, yeah, I have a Piloswine. Mamoswine is the evolution of Piloswine. Oh, okay, I okay, I can picture him now, and yeah, he is pretty cute. I love Mamoswine. Uh, in, in my copy of Diamond and Pearl, I named him uh, my Mamoswine Mafuda, which is like muffler in, <laughs> or like a, a big old scarf. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's cute. Uh, there's Golurk, which is the ground ghost. Uh, I like Golurk. I wish he were better. Like, he has yeah. really good attack, but he's not actually, you know, a good Pokemon. Seismitoad's actually- pain. Oh, just a uh, goaler, because I, I was, cause, uh, as you would know if you're reading US Gamer, I just put up a list of the best, uh, just like five really cool ghost type Pokemon. I was looking at Golurk, and um, yeah, he's based on uh, based on the Golem, if I'm not mistaken. So, uh, a Golem, cool. from, a Golem from what? Just from Jewish myth. The idea of it being protected. Oh, okay, yeah, no, that makes total sense. Um, and there's also uh, Flygon, which is actually one of my favorites. It's a Gen three. Uh, dragon ground type uh, oh, which like was Flygun. which was unfortunately a little bit overshadowed by other dragons um yeah from a stat perspective but back in his heyday in gen 3 gen 4 he was pretty good but mm-hmm. ultimately clay doesn't do much in the story except at one point that this is kind of a cool moment when you are fighting uh the evil team at the end all of the gym leaders show up including uh clay uh-huh and uh, they help, they help defeat the, uh, the. They help keep the team busy while you go and confront N in Pokemon Black and White. So. I remember that. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Okay, number four. This is a fun one. This is this is from a character from a game that you probably haven't thought about in years, if at all. That is Gemini Sunrise from Sakura Tyson Five. Which, I might add, is the only Sakura Tyson, if I recall correctly, to ever come out in North America. Yeah. Nadia, how, how familiar are you with Sakura Tyson? 
uh, I only know her from the Project Cross Zone games, and only then just, you know, kind of, since there's so many characters in those games and they're all on crack, you only kind of remember the ones you you love most, like, here's Majima being represented by Phoenix Wright sort of thing. So I, she kind of slid into the background, but she's very cute. The Sakura Wars games and anime were a huge deal in the early 2000s and were kind of a import holy grail for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. They were, I guess, Sakura Wars 5, you could call a combination dating sim, visual novel, and tactics RPG with mechs. <laughs> they cover all their bases, don't they? They really do. Uh, it came out in North America in either 2009 or 2010 on the Wii and on the PS2. Mm. And it really flew under the radar, but I had a chance to play it at some point, And I really... I, I liked it. it. It was fun. It had like a nice presentation. It's presented kind of like a an anime or like a brief OVA with mm-hmm. each episode ending with kind of a a teaser for the next episode. Um, oh, that's fun. It's a little like Persona in that you're trying to build up your bonds with the different characters and you have to choose uh, the right uh, it, it, you're sort of negotiating with them. You have to choose one of the right, correct negotiate dialogue choices uh, to be able to make them happy or sad or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gemini Sunrise, if you are into redheaded girls from Texas <laughs> who have who ride who literally ride in on a horse and her horse is named Larry for some reason. What the hell kind of a name for it, for a horse is Larry? I'm sorry, that's a little bit. She's not very creative, okay? Uh, okay? She's a country girl from Texas. She's coming to the big city in New York for the very first time. Maybe she likes hanging out in tree stands and drinking and shooting at deer. I don't know. You're dabbing yourself in deer pee? You. <laughs> That's what uh, you do when you hunt. That's what I'm told. Well, speaking of pee, she's a janitor in Soccer Wars 5, actually. <laughs> now, see, that I can relate to. See, yeah, Nadia loves to tell all of her janitor stories. On I have Slack. many good, I have many great janitor stories, many great grooming so, stories. So yeah, too. you and so she must be your favorite because like Gemini Summarize and you are kind of a kind of a kind, right? By the sounds of it, yes. I mean, we both like horses. I like horses, but kind of like Clay, uh, Gemini Sunrise is kind of the a key example of Japan's love of taking America and heightening it to the absolute extremes. I mean, this is set in New York. So of course you've got hot dogs and Broadway and cowboys, like a literal cowgirl riding on a horse because America, (laughs) because that's the way it's done in America where you just ride a horse into New York city. Well, if you're a cop, I guess it's it's every, she's a samurai cowboy at that. I think she has a katana even. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. That's pretty great, though. Uh, I'm not going to spoil anything with her. So you should maybe play Sakura Wars 5. But she has a dark secret, which is kind of um, maybe reflected in her name a little bit. I, I think her name is very on point. <laughs> now that you mention it, I, I'm, I'm an idiot sitting here and I just realized, holy crap. Yes, a little bit on point. In, in the Japanese version, by the way, this is kind of interesting she's a tomboy like she is presented as a tomboy i look at her and i don't really see tomboy myself but uh so consequently she uses the informal masculine pronoun boku um and which uh is interesting you don't usually see women using boku uh, unless they're like uber tomboys Hmm, well that's one way to do it i guess 
it is one way to do it. But I, I like Gemini Sunrise. I hadn't thought of her in a long time. But then I was doing research for this. And I was like, oh, right. Yeah, she was easily the most memorable character, I think, from uh, Sakura Wars 5. And while I never finished it, I she probably would have been the gal that I ended up dating. Ah. Number three, Irvin Kinius. Uh, so I think I mentioned, Nadia, that we're not really doing... Uh, some of these aren't really cowboys, and I would say that he's not really a cowboy. He's kind of more of a cowboy cosplayer, isn't he? He's a sharpshooter, so I guess, so that's why he wears a duster and a cowboy hat. But, uh, yeah, like, he, as far as I can tell, the only, he basically likes cowboy drag. Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. And he's named after a region in California, isn't he? Oh, Irvine, California. I hadn't even thought of that. Oh my god. I think Laguna is too, but by I'm the not way, sure about that. no disrespect no disrespect to the people who live in Irvine. Uh Alice is actually in Irvine. And uh let's see, Alice and Blizzard are both in Irvine, and because they're in Irvine, I will in all probability never work for them. <laughs> is, do you guys have like a a rivalry going on with Irvine? Well, I I live in Northern California and I kind of like it here. And if so, Northern Californians tend to have a thing against Southern Californians. I don't <laughs> have that big a thing against Southern Californians, but I'd rather, I don't know. It's, it's freeways and strip malls and n- nothing of any particular interest. So I uh, standard of living is okay, I guess, but uh, well, that's okay. So there you go. You have a, uh, you associate Irvin with oh, an okay standard of living. Here you have this like sharpshooter character you associate with, with strip malls and, and okay standard of living. Yeah. Well, here's the thing about Irvin. He, he's actually a bit of a, a fake, uh, a poser, I, I want to say, because he that sees himself, familiar. he sees himself as being like the ultimate sharpshooter, which is why he's recruited to take down, to snipe and kill the sorceress of Galbadia, a sorcerer Edia, or something like that. But when it come, the moment comes to pull the trigger, he chickens out. He can't do it. He freezes, Nadia. Wow, what kind of a sharpshooter are you? Yeah, and then finally he shoots, but of course she just blocks it with a shield. With um, blocks it with her shield, and it's like, okay, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best response to some anime bullshit I've ever heard. Okay, whatever. Let's get on with this. Yeah. So, actually, that entire sequence where you're putting together the plant, the plot to kill uh, the sorcerers, is probably probably my favorite sequence in the entire game, besides the battle with the the gardens. To me, mm. that's where the game really truly gets going. Because uh, I don't know, like the the scenery is cool. Galbadia is interesting. There's um like kind of a Mardi Gras like party going on. Oh, Everybody's yeah. getting yeah. S- into position like it's Mission Impossible and then everything goes wrong all at the same time. <laughs> so it's all very <laughs> stressful and it culminates <laughs> and it culminates in your big first fight with Cypher. So Oh, that's right. Yeah, I think I actually got that far in the game. Believe it or not. S- so, Irvin doesn't do anything cowboy like aside from the fact that he's a sharpshooter. Apparently, he was going to wear goggles originally. But when Nomura was designing him, he just wanted to separate him from everybody else, so he decided to make him look kind of like a cowboy or something. That sounds like something Nomura would do. Because, I mean, Nomura, like, that's literally the reason he did it. He was just like, oh, well, this guy needs to be differentiated because his personality's not interesting enough. Yeah, I'll give him a hat. There we go. And I, I, know, I know I'm really selling these people, 
uh, really well. But actually, Irvin was uh, a key part of my party, usually whenever I played Final Fantasy VIII, because I did like his design, believe it or not. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like its design. Whether or not he's a, a lamer doesn't really matter. He has a cool design. Yep, he had a sweet gun, cool design. Yeah. Uh, he had a good um, uh, limit break where you would be shooting multiple blasts of like this giant laser gun or something like that. Wow. Because, I don't know, it's, he's got a shotgun and it shoots laser beams. Don't ask questions. It's Final Fantasy VIII. Well, it's kind of like uh, Laguna's attack, uh, Desperado, where he just kind of uh, flings a, a rope into God knows where it attaches to, and he just swings around shooting his machine gun willy-nilly. So why not? And he is one of... So one of the big uh, plot twists in the game uh, is, spoiler alert, um, he reveal. Or, so I'm not going to spoil it, but he makes one of the big reveals in the game. Like, he is a key part of the reveal in the game. And I remember reading... A, I remember reading an essay on some Final Fantasy site in like 2000 about how brave it was when he's he's talking to the crowd to the group and sharing the stories of his youth. He shoots a basketball at a hoop, and it was mm-hmm. talking about how brave it was that the ball doesn't go in. <laughs> like it's a brave nice storytelling imagery. choice because it would have been cliche for it to actually go in. This is yeah. when we are like at the very height of like Final Fantasy is so deep. Let us analyze. <laughs> let us analyze it to death. It had its moments, especially the older games, in in terms of like subtle bits of storytelling. I always appreciated the way that uh, Final Fantasy VI, the link between Shadow and Realm, was never outright blown, even though Square Enix they apparently intended to, but they they stopped because they said, "Okay, we want to leave some mystery to this." And I respect them for that. Ultimately, Irvin, much like Selfie and Quistus and Zell and the rest of the Final Fantasy characters, Final Fantasy VIII characters don't matter nearly as much as either Renoa or Squall. Mm-hmm. But he... That's the thing with Final Fantasy VIII's uh, background characters. It's mostly just, All right, they're nice designs. Let's use them. <laughs> <laughs> and he was one of my favorite designs, so I always used him. He had a cool duster and a hat. That's all that you really need, frankly, sometimes. And he had one of the most memorable scenes in the game, which was completely choking when it came time to shoot the evil sorcerers. <laughs> okay, so we've had three so far. We've got Clay, we've got Gemini Summarize, and we've got Irvin Kinius. So, two of which are pretty lame, but we still love them anyway. <laughs> one which we yeah. do legitimately love. I love Gemini Sunrise. But this is a character who might be, like, he legitimately should be on this list because he's one of the best characters in a game that you really enjoy, Nadia, which you were talking about last week, and that is Flint from Mother 3. So tell us, who is Flint and why is he so important? Well, he's, uh, he's Lucas's father, Lucas and Klaus's father in uh, Mother 3. And uh, yeah, he's got the duster and he's got the hat, so okay, he passes that test. And as you pointed out, and I didn't notice, I didn't realize this at first myself, or at least I forgot, he's a sheep farmer. So that's pretty cowboyish. <laughs> so he qualifies. Yeah, one of the, maybe the closest anybody on this list actually comes to being a cowboy. Though, interestingly, we kind of hit all of the cowboy tropes with this, uh, with this list. We've got a millionaire industry owner who likes to wear cowboy stuff for some reason. Uh-huh. We have showgirl cowboy. We've got a wannabe 
dust uh, cowboy shout, sharpshooter desperado guy wearing a duster and then we have actual i am a cowboy except i'm a, a sheep herder who just wears like a, the hat and everything <laughs> i am cowboy hear me roar he's a working cowboy no he's he not is. driving cattle across texas but he's he is actually working with li- he's working with livestock he's a rancher yeah he's a rancher and um he actually the one thing i would say he doesn't have is he doesn't use a gun when you use him, and unfortunately you don't get to use him in the game nearly as much as I would like, uh, he basically swings a big-ass 2x4. Until um, a little bit later in the game, the second half, when you get to use him, he has like kind of a spear that's uh, made out of the dragon tooth that was pulled out of his wife's heart, so that's kind of metal. Uh, and he is, as I mentioned, I think it was last week when we talked about other three, or it was quite recently anyway, He's a difficult character, too, because he shuts down after his wife and his twin son die. And he leaves Lucas to go off and adventure on his own because Lucas has, like, nothing else. He has no one else. Uh, although for Earthbound 64, which, of course, is what Mother 3 was going to be, he uh, he was the main character. And he definitely had uh, a real cowboy look going on there, too. He had the duster, he had the hat. And I was always a little disappointed that we never got to play as more of him in Mother 3, because uh, cowboys are cool, as we have established with this episode. And Flint has one of the most, uh, I want to say, memorable scenes in Mother 3. Yeah. Um, and again, you can like look at usgamer.net and look back on uh, my Mother 3 retrospective, which I wrote not that long ago. Uh, he has, a, a, after his wife dies, he has a complete emotional breakdown. And this is this is a GBA game, and the way that the breakdown is animated is still just just incredible. The the amount of like actual emotion and work that went into it, it, it still impresses me. And like I said, uh, in that particular write up, you don't get to see that level of breakdown in RPG characters, especially you don't get to see the lasting damage it causes. Uh, maybe a key example. Uh, I would say Flint is a key example of how Mother 3, much like Earthbound, is one of those games that you think is kind of light and silly until you see somebody having a complete meltdown in front of you, this little sprite. <laughs> yeah. God, he has a meltdown in front of his kids now that, now that I think back to it. Like, because uh, they survived the attack, uh, like the Drago attack that uh, killed his wife, and she died protecting them, as far as I know. And uh, you kind of see, like, this one NPC tries to basically hide them from the breakdown so they don't have to see it. It's just like, oh, man, that's like one of those, like, subtle touches you don't you don't notice the first time. But when you see it the second time, it's like, oh, damn, that's just, what, what a great choreographed scene. And, um, yeah, maybe it's, uh, I guess cowboys can cry, too, can't they? So to recap... Our list so far, number five was Clay, the gym leader who wears a 10-gallon hat and just generally looks like JR from Dallas. Uh, Gemini Sunrise, the the, the, the the cowgirl from Soccer Wars 5, who's also a janitor. Irvin Kinius, who is a really bad sharpshooter and just completely <laughs> chokes during his moment of glory. Flint who uh, has one of the starkest and most moving moments of Mother 3. And the number one, yep, number one is from Fallout New Vegas, which we recently just covered in our Top 25 RPG Countdown. And that would be Rose of Sharon Cassidy, which is a bit of a mouthful. But she is a companion 
in Fallout New Vegas, and I would definitely characterize her as a as a cowgirl. You know, yeah, uh, yeah where. I've- Flint is uh, the sheep, the sheep guy. Like he's a rancher. He, he's working with livestock. She she works with caravans, and she she looks like your fairly typical cowgirl. Uh, she's wearing um she she wears a hat and everything. I mean, you got to wear a hat. <laughs> she got the hat and she got a shotgun. Yes, she's got a hat and a big uh, traditional shotgun and everything. Like you look at her and you just immediately think cowgirl. She's also really foul mouthed. <laughs> she's got a terrible mouth and is fantastic. And she drinks like crazy. She also has one of the best quotes from Fallout New Vegas. In fact, I think you said that whenever Fallout New Vegas quotes pop up, invariably she's the one who's being quoted. Yeah, um, she tends to, she has monopoly on on a game that's actually full of great quotes. But yeah, she, uh, her quote uh, about Long Dick Johnson is, should live in infamy. Well, I wasn't gonna. Re- I wasn't gonna say Long Dick Johnson because this is a this is a family podcast. But <laughs> yes, she, she she does a <laughs> so, but she does re- refer to that among other things. Apparently, she's bi, which is pretty cool. She mentions at one point that uh, she has been known to bed down with the ladies. Which okay, okay. <laughs> Why well, limit your options? I think she she was one of my she was my companion. Like I, I think in Fallout New Vegas, there's a you often meet Boone first, and Boone is from the Rangers, but he's kind of while his story is kind of tragic because his wife was sold to slavers. He's also kind of a cipher. He doesn't talk much. Doesn't have a lot to say. Yeah, yeah I've he, seen people say that they kind of stick with Boone until they meet uh, Rose of Sharon, and they. They kind of ditch Boone. <laughs> get out of here, Boone. I mean, you're trying to get this very taciturn dude to open up ultimately, but I think Rose is somewhat more interesting character. She really reflects the the divide of, or the problems of the New California Republic. At one point, she kind of compares them to a dysfunctional family and is like, well, I mean you argue with them and you hate them and they're kind of awful, but they're also still your family and you stick with them, which Rose, I, mm-hmm. I got to disagree with that actually. Yeah. I, I got to say, um, all things considered, if someone's toxic, I cut them. If someone is toxic, I cut them out, but I appreciate her, her tenacity. Yeah. That's the problem, isn't it? Is that there are a lot of very toxic families and toxic relationships, uh, out there. And this idea that, you have to stick with family through thick and thin as can be really devastating to a person's emotional health, which Mm -hmm. is like kind of getting outside the point. She was making an analogy to the new California Republic. But I mean, one of the things in follow new Vegas is that the NCR is toxic as well in a lot of respects, especially higher up. But uh, she has a heart problem, interestingly, and which I believe she inherits from her mother, who you meet in Fallout 2. So this is a callback to uh, Fallout, uh, to a previous Fallout game, which Fallout New Vegas has a ton of them. And when you meet her the first time, she's very depressed and she has a drinking problem, which just feels like a very cowboy thing to to happen, to to find the old cowboy in the saloon who has a major drinking problem. Yeah, yeah. Although I would say uh, heart problems... uh you probably run into a few of those on a on a radioactive wasteland, wouldn't you? Yeah, and she ends up 
dying of a heart attack if you get one of a particular ending in Fallout New Vegas, which is pretty grim, actually. That's that's very sad. That would make me sad. That would make me sad too. And she finishes with um with a quote from the Great Gatsby. I think it's something to the effect of we were always going forward, but we were backward. That's which actually is, funny because like her name is a reference to uh the grapes of wrath. <laughs> Obsidian's really into literary references. They're very literary. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I should definitely play more of their games if that's the case. If you want your story to seem more important than it actually is, toss in a few references to the Grapes of Wrath and the Great Gatsby, and you're probably set. People go, wow, it's really deep. Long Dick Johnson. (laughs) You know, exactly, yeah. (laughs) I think just the fact that she does that endears her to a uh, endears her to a lot of people. But a lot of the quests that you're working with, um, you're trying to investigate why like her caravans are being sacked. You're trying to save her caravan company, which mm-hmm. I, she's the owner of Cassidy Caravans. One of the things that's interesting about New Fallout New Vegas is that even though it's ostensibly set out in the West. It goes more with Las Vegas. When I say it's set out in the West, it has a very mm-hmm. Western vibe. You meet characters like you meet a, an old timey prospector, you meet ranchers, you uh, meet people that you could call kind of like people who would be an extra in a Western film. But otherwise, right. it, it actually focuses a lot more on tropes from Las Vegas, I suppose. You have. You got a nice mix going on there. You got a nice mix. And so. She, I think, really embodies the Western aspect mm-hmm. of uh, Fallout New Vegas kind of the best. So, uh, and if you want, you can also be a cowboy in Fallout New Vegas. Did you know that, Nadia? Be- meaning you can put on the duster that, like the one I stole from Lucas Sims? Oh, yeah. No, yeah. You can totally put on a duster and a hat. He got shot on his doorstep uh, and took his hat and his duster. Did you? From Fallout 3, yes. Why would you do that? I don't know. He was dead anyway. That's the thing with Fallout, isn't it? It's, it's always a case of, well, I'm just going to totally uh, rob your body and leave you naked. Yep, and your child's over there, but that's not my problem. So, yeah, if you want to be a cowboy, it's slightly different build from the usual, because as always in a Fallout game, sniper rifles are usually the best way to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody recommended going with the field hand outfit with the ranger gray hat, a brush gun, a lucky lever action shotgun, a bowie knife, machete, sh- binoculars, and then with the perks, fast shot, quick draw, hand loader, gunslinger, cowboy, animal friend, home on the range, roughing it, walker instinct, toughness, that kind of thing. Wow. Um, and of course, survival. So, <laughs> so yeah, you can be totally a, like a, a gunslinger. Uh, Irvin Kinnias is just completely in awe of you and very jealous. God, if Irvin had to like actually, you know, rough it, quote unquote, uh, he'd probably cry. Oh yeah, no, he's way too fabulous for that. <laughs> he's very, he is a very fabulous cowboy. Yeah, that's why he's on this list. He's so fabulous. But I agree. That's a good choice. So obviously, the characters here kind of run the gamut. Um, I had to dig fairly deep, actually. There aren't many cowboys in the RPG space because there aren't many R- like westerns or cowboy-type games in the RPG space. And what do you think that is, Nadia? Uh, there is one I can think of that we didn't get to mention. That's called It's an indie RPG called Boot Hill Heroes. But mm-hmm. um, it's a little bit of a lesser-known game. It was, uh, it's very cute, though, and I really enjoyed Episode 1. I haven't gotten a chance to play Episode 2 yet because it came out much later. 
but um, it, it's like kind of a, a very much a, a game where you're actually a young cowboy who watched his father get murdered by outlaws, and you go through like you know settlements, and you ride a horse, and uh, it, it's very Earthbound inspired. Uh, you might probably not surprised to hear that being an indie RPG and all, but it's uh it's it's a it's a very cute little game, and I recommend it. But um, that is a good question. Given how much Japanese culture loves to kind of like use cowboy culture, I am surprised we don't have more uh, more cowboys in our RPGs. Uh, here's my pet theory. Mm-hmm. My pet theory is that our our parents grew up watching westerns, and uh, they fell hard out of style after the 1970s, and as a consequence, they aren't a popular topic for video games, just That's in general. Yeah, that might be a a good reason. Like Red Dead Redemption Two will undoubtedly sell extremely well, in spite of you know the controversy and all of the things that are happening. I'm sure lots of people are going to be. It's going to be on plenty of game of the year lists and everything. But it's hard to make a really good cowboy game that people really give a damn about because I mean, I I know that. I'm kind of intrigued by the Old West uh, aspect of it. I'm kind of intrigued by the Western, uh, I don't know, trope, the idea of the cowboys riding into the sunset and all of that stuff, the, the showdown at high noon. But I'm, I'm not a big fan of like classic Westerns or anything. A lot of them no. are kind of before my time. So Yeah, I never grew up with those. Uh, when I think cowboys, if you give me a horse and maybe a cool hat, I'm set. Maybe a poncho. I kind of like those. Yeah, I think it. I, I think a lot of the people who actually make video games are the kind of people who are playing Dungeons and Dragons rather than watching westerns, what, mm-hmm. rather than watching Clint Eastwood. Exactly. Yeah. You feel lucky, punk? Or was that that was Dirty Harry, wasn't it? <laughs> uh, no, that was. Uh... Oh god! No, 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 that was totally Dirty Harry. But he was Clint <laughs> Eastwood. Right, was okay, in, yeah. Clint Eastwood yeah. was in a lot of westerns. That's why Back to the Future Three. Marty McFly goes with that name. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I actually think Back to the Future 3 is underrated, but I guess that's a whole other podcast. It's just Back to the Future 1 again. Well, so is Back to the Future 2. Yeah, they're both bad movies. You think Back, Back to, to the, the Future, Future 2 1 was, bad? was a great film? Back to the Future 2 was a complete mess, and Back to the Future 3 just rehashed Back to the Future 1 with the same jokes. And then it's completely True. ridiculous by Back to the Future 3, because it's like, oh, everybody's obviously inbred. They've all been <laughs> in that same city uh-huh. for multiple generations. <laughs> they all, I mean, you have Buford, Tannen. I mean, come the F on. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's a ridiculous, but when I had to marathon all three, I was like, oh, you know what? I think I'd rather rewatch three than watch two again. I the mean, only two thing- had that... Go, go ahead. Oh, two really starts off great with all like you know 2015 stuff. It's a lot of fun, and then it just kind of like okay, let's follow Marty McFly again. It's like oh, let's not. I watched Back to the Future two again when the the anniversary happened on 2015 when they yeah. would have supposedly shown up in the future. Yeah, and I came and I wanted to go in being like oh man, I love this movie. And when I came out, I was like that was such a bad movie. <laughs> it was a horrible <laughs> film. The 2015 stuff was just, even for 1989, completely insane. Like, just completely ludicrous. And I know that's what they were going for, Yeah, but it doesn't work. It just it's does fun. not work. It I know. It's fun. But yeah, I see where you're coming from, by all means. But the I'll only watch. things, they did get the, the, the Cubs being in the World Series. That was kind of eerie. There you go. That was, that was actually, yeah, that was quite eerie. 
uh, Parks and Rec manages to get that right as well. It's kind of crazy, actually. Ooh. So I think that was kind of the joke. It was like, haha, the Cubs winning the World Series, LOL. <laughs> yeah, when, well, sometimes jokes become not jokes. And 80s, and the 80s, ca- Cafe 80s, they yes. got that right as well. Like, people definitely have 80s nostalgia now, though... Their idea of what 80s nostalgia would actually be turned out to be very different from the form that it ultimately took. That's a good point. You're right. And that was a scene with Elijah Wood, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, uh, because they were playing the arcade game. Yes. Uh, Which, by the way, was... um, What was was it called? Uh, Hogan's Alley? Not Hogan's Hogan's Alley. Alley, yeah. Was it Hogan's Alley? No. That was a Western-themed game, right? The Western one, yeah. I don't know. Whatever the Western-themed Hogan's Alley was... <laughs> and Marty was really good at it, which was yeah. a um, what was it the the fa- foreshadowing of Back to the Future Three? Yes, yeah. Which, uh, but okay, <laughs> that's enough of that. Anyway, uh, westerns are dumb, and that's why there aren't enough games about them. But I am looking forward to Red Dead Redemption Two, and I do enjoy the times when Japan decides that they want to make a western character, and half the half the characters on those lists come from games that are like extremely heightened versions of american culture in some way or another which would be earthbound uh sakura tyson and pokemon black and white and that's why we have cowboys pretty much uh gotta have your hamburgers your hot dogs and your cowboys Okay, Nadia, it is time to do the uh, mailbag from our listeners. And last week, we talked about Knights of the Old Republic. We put it on the list. And we also talked about Persona 5 and how I was back into Persona 5. And Sammy J9 says, Woohoo! I knew KOTOR would make it on the list somewhere. Glad to see it. I know you have little time and it's long, but you really have to finish Persona 5, Cat. I'd love to hear your thoughts on some of the more spoilery stuff. It happens the last quarter of the game, especially since that's where all I felt the game truly shine. It was downright amazing. Then again, there was a ton of great games coming out soon. And for once, it looks like January, February might be a busy time for RPGs and game releases in general this year. So there isn't going to be much of a game release lull soon. Nope, there never is. There are two months in every game and every year in which there's an actual honest to God lull. And that yeah. is like May and July. That's about it. Yeah. Yeah, the the whole the whole idea of there being like just the Christmas boom and that's all those days are long gone. Oh yeah, there's tons of interesting games coming out every single month and it feels like every summer something big hits that yes. we're having to cover. Like uh last year this year it was kind of Pokemon Go again and Fortnite. And last year it was PUBG and the year before that it was Pokemon Go and the year before that it was Rocket League. Like there's always something. There's always something. Yeah. Something's going to surprise you. Siggy uh, Z Tar says, For a game that partially takes place at school, I was surprised that Persona 5 didn't feature enough school life. No festivals, no clubs, no responsibilities. I wonder if the game was ever planned to star young adults a la Persona 2. And somebody kind of pointed out that your character is a felon, so that's why yeah. they didn't really focus a ton no, on No drama club life. for you. Yeah, no drama club or no joining the band. Your life is a drama club. 
I, I'm a I'm a little sad that you didn't get to join a club or like be in student council or whatever in Persona Five, but at the same time, it was kind of a bend there, done that from Persona Four. So I, I actually prefer the focus on the other kind of the alternative aspects of Tokyo that you normally wouldn't see. Yeah. Did you um in Persona Four? Did you join the drama club or the band? The band. So did I. Okay. So you have. I, I had playing, that like. I was playing the trumpet with a little girl with a girl who played the clarinet and was sad. Yeah, a little mousy girl who follows after you. She really, really wanted me, but I, I turned her down. I felt a little bit bad. You monster. Yeah, I, I, want, I wanted to go with Marie, and I did, and I have no regrets. The challenger was asking, like, when are we going to see a Persona game completely devoid of high school life slash antics? I mean, so much of Persona 5 is getting outside the high school and going into yeah. the city and meeting people of all different life, walks of life and tons of adults and that kind of thing. So, I mean, it kind of does yeah it really is um i you still have like you take your quizzes and stuff but you once the day is over especially after the first dungeon you really don't hang out in school very much which is fun with me i'm done with school get me the hell away from school uh drachmalia says played kotor a few years ago and liked it but by then i had already played mass effect trilogy it was kind of hard to go back it was cool but i've always heard the second one was better gotta play that one one of these days as i get closer to 30 and starting to really appreciate western rpgs and their place in a larger genre still haven't played a ton of classics well i would say that mass effect is good but i think kotor holds up better than any of them mm, interesting uh, nice guy Dion says, I would love for Bioware to go back to the roots and handle a KOTOR-style game, whether it's Star Wars or not. These days, two of the Dragon Age games are disappointing sequels, and the new Mass Effect was a major flop. But I'd also love more RPGs like Jade Empire with a unique setting and focus on different abilities like that in that one martial arts. But really, there's so many options available and do not, and we do focus almost exclusively on European fantasy. Jade Empire felt so fresh. So it, here's a quick take for you, Nadia. Mm-hmm. I think EA is actually in a lot of trouble. Like, financially? No, I, I think it's fine financially, for now at least. But, I mean, from a public perception, have they kind of gone past the point of no return at this point? It feels yeah, that's like... a very good question. It feels like nobody cares about Battlefield Five. Nobody cares about Anthem. And it's just like there's no hype around those games. People, no, there the, really isn't. The discourse around Battlefield Five is actively toxic. It just feels like... And they just seem really intent on focusing so hard on the multiplayer platform, uh, you know, ultimate team kind of thing, where which they can monetize and keep people engaged with, but they aren't that great at it. Yeah, um, I think one thing I pointed out on, t- on Twitter was that uh, Disney basically picked them up and shook them like a naughty puppy. And I think since then, they kind of peed themselves a little <laughs> Yeah, I guess, but I don't know, like Battlefront 2, they had two gigantic flops in one year. Yeah. Like Star uh, Mass Effect Andromeda and Battlefront 2, like a lot of studios can't survive one of those, let alone two. No, you're right. And um Anthem as as you said, like I keep forgetting that game's even coming out because I just do not hear any hype whatsoever around it. And that's a shame because I don't want BioWare to die. I don't think anybody wants Bioware to die, but I think at this point, the best case scenario is like all of the the best Bioware people get together with the doctors who, I mean, they're globetrotting at this point. One of them's brewing beer and one of them is, I don't know what the heck he's doing, but they're living their best lives. But the best case scenario is that they go and start their own studio and make the RPG that we actually want them to make. 
We'll have to see. I mean, because yeah, I mean, it just seems like EA is not in on single player games at all. And no. one of the reasons that Sony has been able to engender a lot of goodwill is, yeah, you have these. Uh, platform games but you also have these prestige games right i mean you have Mm -hmm. these games like god of war and uh spider-man and horizon zero dawn and (laughs) yeah maybe they don't have a long tail but they engender so much goodwill and yeah and e just ea just seems completely incapable of making them and that's why we're never going to see another kotor again yeah it's really a shame it is a shame you're on to something there. Acts of Blood God is a U.S. Gamer podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are sold. Follow us on all the social media channels, U.S. Gamer Net. I, and as I already said, I'm at the underscore catbot. Nadia's at Nadia Oxford. Nadia, we're partnering with another podcast. You should yeah. go check out Red Dead Radio, which is hosted by my friend Jared Petty. They are focused exclusively on Red Dead Redemption 2. I'm sure they'd be very interested in our cowboy RPG list. <laughs> They're probably going to be listening to it saying, what the hell? But yeah, I hope Uh, No, no, I I think Jared actually does listen to the show, so shout out to Jared. Hi, Jared. Yeah, I think I follow follow him on Twitter, so yeah. And I think I'm going to be on Red Dead Radio next week to talk about Red Dead Redemption 2. So if you want to follow me there, you totally should. Nadia, you've been really busy. I think the favorite thing that you've written, my favorite thing you've written this week is looking back on your Mario 3 fan fiction from when you were 10. (laughs) Yes, just for a little bit of exposition there. uh, What I did, like a crazy person, was I uh, went back. uh, It's basically the 30th anniversary this week of Mario 3's release uh, in Japan. So I went back and I, I found the fan fiction I wrote when I was 10. And um, I couldn't find the whole thing because for, for some reason I'm missing huge chunks of it. I might have burned it in a fit of, of passion or something. Uh, but I just kind of put up excerpts of it. And you can kind of see what my – you could see from an early age what my problem is. Let's put it that way. And the other thing that you wrote about was you checked out Castlevania Requiem and you were like, eh. Uh, Castlevania, uh, yeah. Headline, it's, biggest addition is a quick save feature that doesn't work properly. Yeah, that's pretty great. Uh, what happened was I beat the first bosses in the game, which the uh, Slogra and Gabon. Uh, they're not hard or anything, but I just kind of quick saved after that, and I reloaded my save, and it sent me back to my first, basically to my in-game save. You know what I mean, like my hard save. So I was like, that's not how a quick save is supposed to work. I thought, okay, maybe it still has me. You know, maybe it still says I defeated the bosses, but no, it just sent me right back. Same thing with the Rondo of Blood. You gotta try the same thing, a, a quick save, and it just didn't work. Good stuff. Last thing is Jeremy Parrish returned to continue his History of RPGs feature with how Dragon Quest inspired the first console RPG boom in Japan, both for better and for worse, which he talks about a lot of the imitators that came out of the Dragon Quest initial success, including, and I didn't know about this initially, until very recently, actually, there was actually a Gundam Dragon Quest which looked horrible. Yes. It was just freaking, it was a ROM hack. It was just a Dragon Quest ROM hack with Gundams. Yes, I think he might have covered that game on his, uh, one of his, uh, his own shows that he does. But I remember that. Yeah, it was apparently horrible. Oh, yeah, no, it looked absolutely atrocious. And I have no, literally no idea why you would play it. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I like Gundam. Just, I, yeah, I love Gundam. I would never play that game. I, I want, I was, the box art looked kind of cute. I checked YouTube and I was like, 
no what the heck is this what god it like does it have like the little chibi gundams in it as i recall yeah yeah they have the yeah. sd gundams the super deformed ones which just goes to show that like people always go back and look on at classic games with rose-colored glasses let me tell you there was a lot of exploitive crap back then oh, too god, yeah oh 500 percent. there are so many games i would not go back and play all right, on that note, we'll be back next week talking about all of the RPGs still. And uh, thanks to Nadia for joining me and talking about the top five cowboys. And we'll be back next week. Till then, happy adventuring. Yeah.